hello 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 people quite like it when i do the hello at the start do you like when i say hello at the start i do i do i really like it i really like it i ve- <laughs> I, I very much enjoy the high quality audio of when you say <laughs> hello as well uh, oh Just that's a really interesting observation um before we start with the show, I'm so, so sorry. Um, Alex has made me say a little apology at the start here. Um, basically, when we recorded the first half an hour of the show this week, we realized that stupidly my audio mic was not uh, plugged in and it was in fact my computer audio that was recording me so there is a little bit of drop ever oh, so dear, slight drop oh, in dear, audio oh, quality for the first for the first half of the uh, for the first half of the show this week fortunately we recognize half an hour in and we change uh, so apologies I, I, it's not going to sound that bad it's not that jarring to be honest I didn't even notice it I very much noticed it <laughs> um, but yeah so, sorry about that there everyone um, I will write, put a formal apology. I'll have written an apology to all of our listeners. Um, so if it hasn't come in the post yet, stand by. It'll be there soon. Absolutely. Warm hugs all around. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Going Through the Motions with me, Cal. And me, Alex. How's it going, guys? The podcasting equivalent of a fire-damaged apricot. A fire-damaged apricot. That's us. How are you? You look tired. I'm effing knackered, mate. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie to you. We are current. We are recording at well, starting recording at eight forty six in the a.m. on on the day of upload. In yes. case any, and the day of and the day of rest and the day of rest and the day of rest. Yeah. If anyone was uh, noticing our upload schedule, and I got back at one o'clock this morning after doing a all day outdoor orchestral gig in Malvern in the uh, west of England which is about yeah it's over a 3 hour it's over a 3 hour drive away on on a coach and oh, it was such a fun gig though it was it was such a fun gig it was it was like one of these outdoor concerts that you see you know kind of last night of the proms type thing sure so there was lots of flag waving there was a spitfire Oh, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, they had a Spitfire flyover. Basically, one of the first things we did, well, af- after playing the national anthem, because God Save the Queen and all that jazz. Sure. Uh, we had a flag... Well, it's not a jazz number, you know. It's, it's not God a jazz number. Have you, uh, Were you playing fun. it as a jazz yeah, number? Yeah, yeah, we, we, um, we swung, we swung those rhythms. God Save the Queen. We swung those rhythms. We added an offbeat hi-hat. It was glorious. <laughs> Yeah. fucking spitfire <laughs> absolutely and then after that we, we played music from uh the the Dun- battle Dunkirk. of the battle of britain suite by okay. oh i can't remember can't remember who the who the composer is was it elgar it wasn't elgar he didn't bloody elgar no he didn't make an appearance he, he wasn't alive during the second world war <laughs> he couldn't have written the battle of britain but no. um and during a selection of those three pieces we had an actual spitfire flying over the park and the crowd were going absolutely bananas because people go nuts for spitfires in this country yeah, don't yeah. they yeah no of course yeah and i, I hear it's, a lot i hear a lot of uh you know aviation people i think i think you've been guilty of this yourself saying oh well the spitfire wasn't actually the main plane in the defense of the battle yeah, of britain the hurricane, was a hurricane was, and all yeah, that nobody cares <laughs> nobody cares <laughs> So the Supermarine Mark IV was a different aircraft entirely from the Hurricane and didn't take down nearly as many in dogfights of the Messerschmitt uh, 169, which was the equivalent 
Uh, I, I love it. I'm actually a big fan. I know this sounds really, really bad. I'm actually a big fan of Messerschmitts. Um, specifically, but the ones you're an that's engineer. Like that's like just, that's just like a mechanical thing. It's yeah. not. I, I don't think that's pro. I don't think that's problematic at all. The other, the other one's the one six three, which was essentially a hydrogen bomb with with small wings attached to it and the tiniest little propeller at the front. Yeah. It's amazing. It, it kind of looks like a little Robin Redbreast. Yeah. Um, and it and it when it took. So I'm sorry, I'm hijacking your. Yeah, hundred percent are. But, it, but I set but it, I set you up for it, so I've only myself to when blame. When this thing, <laughs> when this aircraft took off, right? You'll love this. It took off. It had a removable landing gear, like a trolley. So when it took off, it detached from the trolley, meaning that actually the only way you could land this thing was skidding it on its belly because it didn't have wheels that it could deploy. But it was also made of a lot of it was a lot of it was hydrogen, so this thing was absolutely lethal. So that's and they mass produced these. In the so basically, in order to crash it, it was the it was six and two threes from crashing a bomb into yeah, the ground. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That sounds safe. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I love it. It's mental. Sorry. Yeah, but no, I think you would you would have really liked it because this Spitfire was you know doing low flyovers and you know you could hear yeah. the engine going in it and and we also did we played uh, music from the Dam Busters. Do you know? Yeah, exactly. It's really, really fun to play and really quite like affecting when you see that with the Spitfire and everything. And then obviously towards the end of the concert, we did your Elgar Land of Hope and Glories and and Rule Britannia, which if you've been keeping up with the news recently. Oh, apparently there's we're not allowed to do that. Yes, anymore. well, the official last night of the proms, which is broadcast on the BBC. Obviously, this year they're doing it without the flag waving, the flag waving, Union Jack hat wearing uh, nutters that go go to the Royal Albert Hall. But they, well, they've actually flip flopped on this decision now. They initially said that they were going to perform those standard pieces because they're performed at every last night of the proms but they were going to do it without the singing now i don't know if you know the lyrics of rule britannia but they're they are very problematic okay um I, well i don't really know them actually no well, can you give us some examples um, of why they're i can i can accurately quote them because i i looked them up and read them because usually you can't really hear them people who don't know the words sing it and people that don't know the words only hear it through this opera singer whose vibrato is so wide you can't tell what words are what so okay. like it doesn't really matter but it basically goes along the lines of when britain first arose out of the sea some angels went oh this is great and let's get these guys to go out and take over the world. That's what rule Britannia, Britannia rule the waves. Because I used to think it was rules the waves. Because I always rules the waves. I yeah. thought it was rules rules the waves because I thought you know for the longest time we were the we were the most powerful navy in the world. Yeah, of course. For of a course. huge amount of human history, we were, and I just thought that was like a military might thing. But it was at, but it's actually structured more as an instruction, as in. Britannia go out and try and rule everything. Yeah, and well, yeah, it was off the back of the Commonwealth, would it? Have well, been? no, exactly. It, it, it's just very empirical, and it says, and it says, Britannia go out and rule everything, and then Britons will never, ever, ever be slaves. Ah, 
Right. And when you put all that in context, and I read it down, and I went, "Ooh, yeah." I'm thinking, I'm thinking it in my head because it's rule Britannia, Britannia, rule. See, I always thought it was rule the wave. No, it's rule the, the waves. waves. They, basically, who's singing that in in like the prose of the text? Ah. Our angels, our angels, saying, "Rule Britannia, Britannia, go and rule the waves. Ah. Britons will never, ever, ever shall be slaves." I always thought it was shall be slain. Oh, no, it's God. slaves. It's real. Oh, well, thanks for no, that. No, no, no. That's, that's, uh, that's and, and so I was sitting here thinking about it, and I was like, yeah, I don't think anyone should really have a problem with not singing those lyrics. Because yeah. they're quite problematic. You know, wave your flags. The tune is still patriotic enough and have it at that. Unfortunately, the, so the conductor at our, our, our little gig... Um, very jubilantly exclaimed to the audience that we're not the BBC, so you can sing it to your heart's content. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's this... To, to, to give you the idea of the kind of crowd that, 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 we, that we were dealing with here, for every Union Jack there was flying in, in the crowd, there were two St. George's crosses. I'll just leave yeah, it. Yeah, I can imagine. I'll just, li- yeah, I'll just leave imagine. it at that. I'll just leave it at that. I can imagine it was uh, it was everyone was singing with yeah. their hearts. Yeah, but it was a lot of fun. There were cannons and fireworks, and we played the can-can twice at the end. Everyone was half cut at this point, and they were going absolutely bananas. Absolutely. No, the crowd were absolutely bananas, and they loved it. And you know what? Despite the problematic natures that I've just described, it was a lot of fun, and for someone who's not been able to do a large part of his profession for, you know, six, you know, six to eight months or, you know, however long it's been at this point. Yeah. It was a pleasure to get up in front of a quite a large live audience. Like there was definitely at least 1500 to 2000 people there. Yeah. And to see them all enjoying themselves and going absolutely bananas. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was a real pleasure, but the coach, the coach journey back sucked. I didn't get I didn't get into my bed till one o'clock, and now I'm up doing this. So that that that's the, that's the story of of my last twenty four hours, listeners. Fantastic, mate. We are a music and movies podcast. Each week, we'll take it in turns to go through some of our more favorite music and movies. We'll discuss the music of those movies and how the music affects those movies, and we'll focus almost always on the music of it. However, this week we're taking a slight left turn. Uh, You'll notice in the episode description, we're in fact talking about 2020's uh, Christopher Nolan's uh, newest film, his spy flick, I guess, for for lack of a better word, Tenet. Now, obviously, we've been kind of talking a lot about Tenet. Now, hang on. Tenu, Tenonte. Yeah, sorry, yes? Tenet? Tenet, Tenout. Tenet. Tenet. Jokes jokes aside, they say Tenet. In the movie, in the movie, tenet, tenet, tenet. Yeah, they they put the emphasis tenet. on the first syllable, tenet, tenet. So that should put the issue to rest. I might keep calling it tenet. I really wanted it to be tenet, but obviously that's not the case because that's not a palindrome. But no, no, they said no. tenet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we're we're going to be talking about this movie now. Obviously, the soundtrack has not been released yet oh, so this is going to oh, be a good old it has it just been released is it just it been has. released? it got has released it? yesterday oh fantastic fantastic so have you been listening through it have you <laughs> nope okay fantastic so i think what we want to do is in fact do we want to do we want to pause it and take a couple of notes away from it and then and then come back to it 
Uh, no, I don't think I don't think we need to do that. I'm, okay, I'm cool. Very, no worries. I'm, I'm very happy making. I'm very happy making this a, a more informal structure today. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not a problem. That's not a problem. It, wait, so don't get me wrong. I think I know some of the tracks. I know the tracks that we want to talk about. But actually, I think we want to take an opportunity to do less of a music and movie review, which is what we discussed, and more a kind of movie movie review. A movie movie um, review, yeah, hundred percent. Movie movie a review. Cinema going movie review because this is the first movie that we've been to see in the cinema since well, March. And what 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 did we see back then? What was the last film that we went to see in the cinema? Because it was definitely with you. I definitely didn't see anything by myself. No, we never we didn't see Bloodshot, did we? No, we didn't. We didn't. That that's a big meme, isn't it? They're quite they're kind of just they blend together. But this was quite a special. Was it Joker, was it? Probably was Joker. Ooh. Yeah, it probably was. God, yeah, that seems like ages ago. Uh, budget for this was between 200 and 225 million. Chump change, uh, mate. Box, box office was 53.6 million. Now, obviously, those numbers do not line up. Uh, I think this was expecting a lot more. I was, I think, under normal circumstances, it would receive ten times that that amount. Well, uh, I think it's worth because that's global box office, right? Yeah, that of course. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's worth pointing out that there are so so many places in America at the moment where the cinemas aren't open yet. Of course, of course, and that's. I think this movie will be in this in the cinemas probably for. I mean for months yeah i mean this is frankly as it as it should be i am so so glad that whoever it was that put their foot down i'm assuming in this case it was christopher nolan but it might not have been but i'm assuming that whoever put their foot down on this he was so right in doing so that this that this movie had to be released in cinemas and not like premier access home on demand uh, type structure that we're seeing a lot more of at the moment exactly, but exactly. i absolutely loved seeing this in the cinema it was mm-hmm. such a cinema experience mm-hmm. you know just because of you know i i'm but i'm before, calling before this further sorry just before we go any further we're gonna we're gonna do uh, spoilers i think throughout this so yeah. if you haven't seen the film tonight tonight to new if you haven't seen tenet uh please i guess We'll, we'll try not to spoil a huge amount, but I think throughout the latter half of this review, I think we'll probably get quite into the spoilers. Yeah, probably I've got, quite a lot of, I've got quite a lot of spoiler uh, facts, trivia, and information. Oh, excellent. I love that. Yeah, so, so we'll, we'll be talking through a lot of that. Um, but, but yeah, just as a heads up. Anyway, sorry to interrupt your flow. Yeah, well, I'm calling this the third in the trilogy of Christopher Nolan's mindfuckery averse. Okay, so obviously Inception being the second or the first, the first. Interstellar being the se- second. First, and Interstellar is the second. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. So, and I think I think that's not too much of a stretch to say. Obviously, they're not connected in any way, but it's just no. you know, and it's not it's the Christopher Nolan structure of taking a concept of pseudoscience because it is pseudoscience. Yes, of course. Uh, even even inter. Even Interstellar, which was pro, which was definitely the most science-y. Sorry, I'm just attaching my pop. Oh yeah, no worries. Keep talking, but I'm so sorry for that noise. Because <laughs> Interstellar was definitely the most based in real science that we know. Yes, but, it's, yeah, yeah, but definitely. it definitely descended into dramatic pseudoscience. So it's interesting that you picked up on that, mate, because actually that was one of my first facts for you, was that this uh, this film was also... So we, we talked about, when we talked about Interstellar, um, Professor Kit Thorne, who's a famous uh, 
physicist and an astrophysicist um, and, and I guess very close friends and, and working uh, uh, working with Stephen Professor Stephen Hawking. Um, Kip Thorne obviously wrote the initial book that Interstellar was based upon and he was also consulted for this film. So this was the second time. Yeah, did, Nolan didn't he even have like him. a producer credit for Interstellar yeah, or something he, like that? Like he yeah, had, yeah, yeah, he, he did, had yeah. like first refusal. He actually had like a leash on Christopher uh -huh. Nolan and saying, "Nope, you can't do that. You can't do so, that." So the, the, there was only one thing that Kip Thorne actually initially said to, to Christopher Nolan: "You can't do for Interstellar, which was you can't travel faster than the speed of light." Yeah. And that's something that's kind of understood throughout a lot of physics world. It's it's an area where we we. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of people who theorise that it is possible. A lot of people who theorise it isn't. Kip Thorne is one of these people that uh, that has based a lot, and I think it's because he's based a lot of his work, um, of which some of it I've actually decided to go out and read, and it, and it's very it starts very light and gets very heavy very quickly. Fair enough. But but he but he bases almost every assumption that he writes about on that fact. Like that's a that's an if 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 for whatever reason it was broken, if you could, if it was discovered, you could travel faster than the speed of light. Uh, a lot of his work instantly falls down. Right. So that's what that's why he kind of in, in, in kind of implored uh, Christopher Nolan to kind of have that as a, as a similar basis. Um, but what I love about what I love about uh, Tenet is when I was kind of listening to how much he was consulting Kit Thorne, I think it was kind of brought him in more rather than at the start. He kind of brought him at the end of the writing process. Mm -hmm. and he kind of went, Kit, we, we can we can do all this, can't we? And Chris and Kit went, well, I mean, Chris, no, not really. No, but we can do this, can't we? It can work. No, because ultimately what you're saying is, yeah, but just say it'll, just say it'll work. Just say it'll just, just say it. You know what? Why does he care? <laughs> why, why, why does he care? I would, have, I would have been very happy with this movie before I, well, I was very happy with this movie before you informed me that he tried to get a big science tick from a, from a world-class astrophysicist. And, yeah. uh, you know, I don't think in the case of Tenet, and definitely not in the case of Inception, that you you need to believe that this is kind of possible. I get the impression that Christopher Nolan very much needs for his concepts to be kind of validated as kind of like hypothesis or something. Yeah. But yeah. I think for us, the audience, that's not really what we're what we're going to see it from and actually like he did an, an amazing job just from a writing perspective of convincing me and probably convincing the rest of the audience that the concepts on display in tenet could be legit yeah because a so, lot so of it sounds ridiculous and there's one and there's one very telling example and again, this is uh, probably one of the first spoilers of what happens. They say when they invert when they invert themselves, yes. and they and they start to travel in reverse in time. Yes, yeah. And they say, "Oh yeah, fire will freeze you." So that and I I'm went, so happy you've got to. This. And I I'm went, so happy you've got to this. And, point. and initially, I was like, "Nah, fuck off. That's stupid. If the world, if the world's and if the world's up, if the world's upside down or back to front or." whatever then fire freezes you and ice burns you that's just like the most ridiculous game of opposites i've ever heard in my life but then somebody said 
well, yeah, because the 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 chemical reactions of the ener of the energies like react you know re react differently like to your cells, which are going in the opposite direction and stuff like that. And I was like, oh yeah, fuck me, yeah, okay. So 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 to give you so I've got the actual I've got the actual fact on that. So basically, with 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 regards to what you're talking about, that was actually one of the most that whole fire freezing part was probably the 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 the, the center point of what all the physics of this movie was based around. Right. So the story is grounded in credible physics with the notion that inverting time having to do with the law of entropy. So the second law of thermodynamics, which states that all things trend towards disorder. So that's what we're kind of talking about. Right. It's that trending towards disorder that makes it credible that when you apply a uh, reverse time on the notion of the chemical reaction of an explosion, you will go towards freezing as opposed to go towards burning. Yeah. Um, and so, and they're very clear. Like, if you'll notice, um, and I guess we'll get to it. That a lot of the dialogue is tr problematic at best for this, and and there isn't as much as exposition dumps as there is in Inception or Interstellar. Yeah. Because a lot of it is visual. Like a lot of this is reliant on visual. Like there's very, it's it's just there, clean cut and go. Which I like because he's a master of show don't tell. But that was one of the the times where they really needed the dialogue to be crystal clear. What they said was just enough to keep you moving through it. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you picked up on that point. Yeah. No. It was really. It was really really great. I'll be honest. I'll be very very honest. First, I don't know. Third of this movie. I ended up in a state of this movie's got to convince me it's good. Okay. Like I was I was on the defensive in the first third of this movie and it and I was thinking back as to why and it's because of the sound mixing. So it's really interesting you brought that up. Yeah, I've got an article and here. It's because of the sound about. mixing and I'm sorry I don't Christopher Nolan I'm sorry if you feel like this makes your movie more immersive and you want us to engage with what your characters are saying more, but we can't hear the dialogue over the mix. Uh -huh. We can't yeah, hear I totally it. Agree. First, the, the first sequence in the opera house, I didn't hear a word that anyone said. Yeah. And I don't know if anyone anywhere could have. It was... Yeah obscene i was like what is this this is where yeah. we're supposed to be like being introduced to introduced to characters you know getting the the mystique around what's going on and we can't hear anything anyone's saying all all we're hearing is you know the overpowering score and overpowering like action mix and i don't understand the reason for it, or I think I understand the reason for it. I think, as I hinted at before, I think Christopher Nolan wants us to, you know, lean in, engage, have it not be a passive experience. And I understand that, but I, uh, but I don't think, I, I don't think that that's the way to do it. So a hard pardon. Why Tenet's muffled dialogue is very modern problem. Christopher Nolan's latest blockbuster is already infamous for its barely audible exchanges. As sound technology advances, why are films getting harder to hear? And it's a really interesting article that The Guardian talks about. It yeah. really goes into this. And just to that point that, that you made there, uh, so basically I have a quote. So in Nolan's case, Price and Bochar, so they're uh, sound and audio mixers who've worked with Nolan before, are confident that the, the director does intentionally, does this intentionally, 
And in a 2019 Reddit uh, AMA, sound designer Richard King, who has worked with Nolan on seven films, including Tenet, says he wants to grab the audience by the lapels and pull them towards the screen and not allow the watching of his films to be a passive experience. All oh, right, so so, so, I, so so you are bang so on. I, so I'm, ba- bang, I'm on. bang on on the head. Now, yep, and that's it. Now, as, as much of an artistic vision as that is, as much of, as an artistic statement as that is, do, do you buy that? Like, do do you think he, um, do you think he's right? Do you think he's right to do that? Yes, yes, I do because you don't. I mean, I, I guess there, this film doesn't fall into the category of something you throw on on a Sunday afternoon as you're cooking dinner. No, it, it's not. I mean, I mean, unless you've seen it a hundred times before and you kind of just want to get to the action pieces, which I'm sure we'll get to. Uh, there's a lot of spectacles to having this in the background, but I think that there's a, an element of look. I, 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 I'm, I'm firmly on the side of. Anytime we're in any sort of art exhibition or anything and people get, because people get, get quite, I think a lot of people get frustrated with things like visual representations of art. Why is that art? What, what about that is art? And you go, well, because the reason why I think things like that are art is because it's there, it's in the gallery, and your, whatever your interpretation of art isn't there in the gallery. And this thing is there making money. Yeah. And I think if you apply that across film... People are going to flock to see this. People are going to lean in and listen. Like, Nolan has created... Like, if this had been Nolan's first movie and there was an assumption that people would want to come in and see Christopher Nolan, the Christopher Nolan show for his first film, like, no, of course that wouldn't happen. But people were sold on this movie, not through the characters, not through the actors, definitely not through the soundtrack, but through Christopher Nolan. Yeah. And that is the reason why I think, do you know what? You, you can pull that sort of stuff off. Yeah. Because we did. We leaned in and we listened. Yeah. But we leaned in and we listened. My point is we leaned in and we listened and we still didn't hear anything. <laughs> yeah. That's my I, that's my point. You went too I, far. Yeah, maybe maybe you're maybe you're not wrong actually. Do we do we want to talk about that first third of the movie? So basically because you and I had the same thoughts when we came out, and I would say almost the first half of the movie. Now what we talked about was we thought it was quite Bond esque, and I think this is kind of the a lot of people are considering this kind of Nolan's interpretation of a James Bond movie. And I think there's been times where there's been news articles in the past where it's been Christopher Nolan's going to do a Bond movie. Um, now, the first thing to really draw upon was the fact that this is one of the first films outside of the Dark Knight trilogy. This is one of the first films where Nolan has introduced to the audience um, uh, an antagonist. If you think back to all of his movies before, there's never really been a strong antagonist character. No, not really. And and so you're built upon that through the the amazing performance of Kenneth Branagh. Oh yeah, he I gives f- it. He gives it all of the panache, doesn't he? And, and when I first saw him on screen, I was like, oh, it's just Kenneth Branagh. But actually, he's he's a really great villain because he's very vulnerable at some stages, and he's very relatable. And actually, he's just a womanizer. And he's, but also, and he's, he gives and it he's the a cheese. Hu- he does. He does. He, he hams it up so much. But he he was. I think there's the first or the second time you fully see him on screen. So the first time you fully see him, I think, is that flashback um, where, where they're on the boat in Vietnam. But I think that when you first see him on that boat around the table, beautiful boat, by the way. I'll get, I've got some facts about the boats as well. Of course you, you do. A number of different ones. <laughs> um, but he's almost absolutely spitting image of Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, that's definitely based on I see, that. As soon as you said that, I couldn't unsee it. It was <laughs> director, uh, very problematic for me. Director Christopher Nolan is a huge fan of the Bond, uh, the James Bond films. And that love of the spy genre flows through Tenet. Yeah. 
Uh, that being said, Nolan tried his best not to watch any movies that may overtly influence him while working on Tenet. Yeah. Uh, this was the longest period of time that the director had gone in his life without watching a Bond film. This is because he wanted to work with the memory and the feeling of that genre. He wasn't trying to do his own version of the Bond movie, but in, uh, instead attempted to create the excitement that many people felt while watching the Bond films when they were kids. Right, what do you want to say? Uh, it's just well, when you said uh, um, Christopher Nolan uh, decided not to watch any movie that that would uh, affect affect him like and overly uses things from that genre and then i just had an image of christopher nolan sitting on his couch just got thunderball on repeat just, <laughs> oh, just over and over just i was, over I was picturing die another day oh are you? oh <laughs> no brilliant but just bring it back to kenneth branagh's overtly blofeld-esque performance I absolutely loved the bit and I'm not even convinced it was supposed to be funny, but I was thinking about it afterwards and I think it's absolutely hilarious is when protagonist, because by the way, big spoiler, he doesn't have a name. He's just called protagonist. Yeah, exactly. In this, well, I'm sure he does have a name. We just don't know it, but, and he, and he arrives at this dinner party in, in this Italian villa. Right. Yes. And he sit, and he sits down next to Kenneth Branagh. And Kenneth Branagh gives a very Bond villain-esque, tell me, how would you like to die? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and first of all, that line is straight out of a Bond. In fact, it's yeah, probably exactly. straight out of 10 out of ten out of 25 Bonds. Yeah, um, exactly. Tell me, how would you like to die? But then he then proceed. but then it turns out that it's a rhetorical question because there is only one way that this person is going to die. And that is by... Um, slicing open of the throat and inserting of the balls. <laughs> so he gives yes. him the option. He asks a, a, a villainous rhetorical question. He says, how do you want to die? And then says, just kidding. I'm going to cut open your throat. And It's balls in the throat. It's I've done it time. It's, it's, a, it's a tried and tested method. Absolutely. It's balls in the throat. I gave you the option. You were too slow to answer. Now I'm going to decide <laughs> for you. This is That's what not the right answer. <laughs> yeah, the balls in the throat sequence. We just That was just so jarring, wasn't it? It was just like, oh, God. <laughs> <coughs> He's coughing on his own time. Absolutely. He's, you sound like you've got some balls in your throat there. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I just I just loved I just loved the structure the structure thinking back on it. That whole yeah. exchange, I was like, that's ridiculous. That's so before, funny. Before we, before we get on to it, because I've got more facts, I've got boat related facts, and I've got a lot of music related facts. Um what I mean we haven't really done the alpha in the room. What what do we think of this movie? What did you think of it? Did you like it? Oh, let's, I, talk I a lo- let's just do a quick review five minutes on just what we coming thought. out of the cinema at the end i absolutely loved it because yeah. it was a christopher nolan pseudoscience mind fuckery ride from start to finish absolutely. i thought i again in the first third of the movie my predominant thought and again i think as as we said it was because of it was inevitable because of the sound mixing but the the reaction i had from that was I was thinking to myself, at the end of this movie, I'm probably going to feel like I wish they extended the setup by about half an hour yeah. so that we could just get a bit more flesh out of the characters and a bit more flesh out of the setup. Because he does go from scene to scene of basically like side characters setting shit up, like that really annoying uh, scientist who first shows him the inverted bullet. Like... I I hate there's a character 
There's a character. There's this character in every Christopher Nolan movie, yeah, and is, I yeah, hate it because yeah. <laughs> it, because the attitude because the attitude in every single one of these characters, and it's got nothing to do with the actors. The the attitude of the characters is oh this is what's going on this is the this is the science that's going on but it's always and and we need that as the audience because we need yes, to have the, a yeah. a basic understanding of what's going on but the way it's delivered is oh you don't know this this is so obvious what you're such an idiot what what are you doing and I'm like no stop it this is weird yeah. shit don't act like this is normal don't act like this is normal and she's just like. Yeah, well, you know, this bullet's sent back from the future, obviously. Well, you know, you're not firing this bullet, you're you're catching it. Idiot. Yeah. That yeah. that's that's basically <laughs> what she's saying. And Anne Hathaway I'm Anne Hathaway did this in Interstellar. She had a lot of yeah. oh you're an idiot moments of things. It's like why Joseph would anyone Gordon know Levitt that? Did it why why would no why would anyone know that? Jason Joseph Gordon yeah. Levitt did the whole oh you're an idiot thing. And why would anybody know anything that goes on in Interception? Yeah. I hate it. I absolutely hate yeah. the function of that character. And if there was any thing I would take out of Christopher Nolan, it's any character that does that. And I hate yeah. it because I think because I, I ultimately that's. You don't hear the character; you hear Christopher Nolan coming through that character. Like yeah. that's that's the kind of in part. In, in, but am I wrong about that? Am I just being overly uh, no, sensitive? No, no, no. <laughs> you're you are being overly sensitive, but it doesn't mean you're you're not right. Yeah, put it that way. But I that's, very much like. But, and then to go back to my earlier point, which was you know how quick the setup was in this movie. You then got Michael Caine in a very charming restaurant scene where he sets up the kind of not the not the science kind of setup of the conflict yeah. but the political yeah the the political well, the, the, the yeah. political and international kind of setup of the of the conflict and that was yeah. done really well because he was a big exposition dump but he wasn't condescending about it it Do was you know what very I mean? natural it was a great little, little and maybe that's just so because think... michael kane is absolute class yeah well so he didn't actually know the, the story he didn't know the whole time travel thing what you got to remember he didn't. He didn't know any of that when he was being told the script by Nolan. Yeah. Um, so he was. I think he was just doing it from a spy perspective, and he doesn't really need to know the. No, he doesn't. Well, he's hardly he in it. He's only in so, it for that so, scene. He got a free lunch. Well, exactly. out, let's put it that way. I think so. <laughs> yeah, two potentially because they can't box it up. No, they can't box it up. <laughs> um, I think then. So let's just take a step back. So obviously we're talking about time travel and stuff. So the film is about uh, a series of um, a, a series of things that have in some way been. Um, dosed or ionized with some sort of particle element that have gone through a Peruvian machine that have the ability to move backwards through time as well as forwards through time. Mm -hmm. So you're reversing the time. So this has gone down the route of um, being able to reverse things. So a lot of it is weaponry, because obviously weaponry is something that's, it, 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 he's an arms dealer ultimately, yep. is his background. But what's been proven that there are nine pieces of uh, of a machine that has some sort of time inflicting bomb that crosses forward moving time streams and past moving time streams it brings them together with the secret combination being something that only Kenneth Branagh as a character knows at a certain fixed point in time and that 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 password so to speak that that allows that drop in uh, in in I guess forward moving time stream is triggered by his death at a certain point in time. Mm -hmm. It's always considered, and that's and that's what they are trying to stop. Meanwhile, yeah. in the background, you have the underlying play of the painting that's being woven through time, where you have a fake and you have a real painting. Yeah. But that painting is really the the mechanism to bring 
characters into the world. So a couple of amazing performances, obviously um, uh, Denzel Washington's son, um, whose name I've just totally forgotten off, off the top of my list. Uh, also, I had David no John, idea. I had John no idea. I had no idea it was Denzel Washington's son. Yeah, he, he was amazing. He was um, fantastic. Elizabeth, yeah. I mean, just just an amazing, probably one of my most favorite. I mean, we were. I think we said it at the same time. You know, it was like watching a kind of Felix Leiter prequel kind of thing for the first half of the movie. He was cool. He was collected. He was a protagonist. You know, the scenes with him fighting in the the hotel kitchen mm-hmm. with the greater face and stuff. Oh, I'm like, yeah. That's fucking, it was great. Uh, Robert Pattinson, I, I, I'm totally on board with him. He he can't do wrong right now. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Good times. Have you seen Have you seen Good Times yet? No, I've not seen Good Times yet. Watch Watch Good Times because Good Times got him the role in this yeah. it also was one of the main things that got him cast in matt reeves batman yeah watch Good i was Times. i was thinking about robert pattinson as an actor about this the other day and i'm pretty convinced that he's the new leo yeah yeah yeah, yeah totally, i'm 100 totally. percent convinced he's the new leo and the the reason i say that is obviously because when titanic came out and leo was peak titanic leo and in pop culture all he was was the floppy-haired, dreamy-eyed uh, lo- love interest on this, you know, roman- on this huge romantic epic movie, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's really all he was. And fast forward to now, and you've got Inception Leo, you've got Django Leo, you've got, yeah. uh, well, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood Leo, Blood, uh, Blood Money or Blood Diamond? What is it? Blood Diamond. Blood, so Di- Blood Diamond's one that really kicked that yeah. whole thing off. Blood, Blood Diamond, Blood Leo, Diamond Shutter, was... Shutter Island, Leo. Shutter Island. He, yeah. Blood like, Diamond is fantastic. Kind of good times, and Leo. I think that Robert Pattinson is the same. Okay, we're back. God, we're making a regular occurrence of these half recordings where our Wi-Fi is dropping out. Uh, the main difference you might hear is that my audio now works a little bit better than it did before. And the reason being is a total mistake on my half in that I didn't re- realize that my audio input was set to my microphone and not my computer. So, you tit. Yeah. <laughs> I've made an absolute error this week. I'm so sorry for that first half an hour of just absolute crap audio. Um, from now on in, it should be quite good. Not, uh, nothing God, but I, dulcet nothing tones from now on. There's nothing worse. Um, so we are back. We're still talking about. Uh, we're still talking about Tenet, and we had the opportunity whilst we were down, sort of sorting out the audio fab, to listen a little bit through to the uh, soundtrack and the score. Do we want to move on to the the score now? As you noted, it's an hour and a half long. It's a it's a big. It is a big one. Yeah, it is a, it is a big one. I'm, and a lot I am of it very in the minor excited key. to delve into it though. Like I am actually going to sit and listen to this one though, because. Okay. I think I think it's a good one. I really liked the sound world that Ludwig Göransson uh, created for Tenet, mainly because it's it, it's a it's a departure, but not too much of a departure from uh, Nolan's other movies. Yeah, exactly. So if I if you don't mind, I'm going to jump in with some facts, some information. Sort. So first, Christopher Nolan film since The Prestige, 2006, not to be scored by Hans Zimmer. Zimmer turned Nolan down for the first time in over a decade due to scheduling conflicts with scoring his longtime passion project Dune. Or is it Dune? Or Dune. He was replaced. Dune. He was replaced by newcomer Ludwig Gagorison. 
Oh, Goran. Goranson, yeah. Goranson. Goranson, sorry. Uh, who had recently won an Oscar for his work on Black Panther. Yeah. Zimmer, his friends with Goranson, he suggested him to Nolan. So composer Ludwig Goranson began working on the score of the film uh, six months before the cameras actually rolled, enabling the score to be assembled in tandem with the film. Nice. I love it when composer that happens. Lud- exactly. Concord Ludwig Gorson was about to begin orchestral sessions for the film score uh, when the United States shut down to stop the spread of coronavirus. As a result, the soundtrack was completed by putting together individual recordings of the musicians in their homes. No way. There is no yeah, way that absolutely. score was um, made by that. Because yeah. I've done a lot of that stuff over lockdown. And let me tell yeah. you, the editing job on something like that is unreal absolutely that yeah, is yeah. incredible i don't think there's anything so else you can tell amazing. me that would amaze me more than that now uh, we've obviously oscar season this year is going to be a bit of an odd one but i can't foresee anything winning the oscar apart from this uh, like, you mean that be- is original score first. Oh, original score yeah of course this that was a listening back to it and and listening watching the film some of the part i mean especially the the red versus blue scene where we listened to the the sequence of music called the well it was it was it, the, there's two tracks that basically followed that that was posterity posterity being the kind of the word that's used to kick it off i remember they used the word posterity and i leaned over to you and i said that's the track on the the soundtrack in the cinema oh i didn't i didn't i didn't hear that i didn't hear that you said that yeah. i usually i usually block yeah. out things that you that you whisper to me <laughs> in the cinema because they're no. usually really annoying so posterity is the track as i was saying on there it was that's the one to listen to uh, and that's the whole red versus blue sequence nice. so when you listen back to it again i mean which was just amazing oh, it was and they actually used blew my re- mind they used the reverse yeah they review they, they used the reverse of some of the instruments to create the soundtrack score when you were watching blue team do their their version of the heist so the reverse section so the backwards moving in yeah uh and, and I'll get I'll get to that in a second. I think so the, basically just before I oh, I think sorry. Keep yeah, going. no, I think I, as a blanket statement, I really hear the influences from Ludwig's you know previous work. Most most notably, I think from his work on the hit US TV sitcom New Girl. New Girl, yeah, you said this, yeah. <laughs> so nah, I'm, really I'm, only I'm, only, I'm, a, I'm only joking. There's no was <laughs> that. I really just wanted to drop in there that because me, me and uh, me and Ilham are watching New Girl at the moment because genuinely it's a it's a proper good sitcom actually. Uh, okay, <laughs> it is really good, and his name pops up uh, at at the bottom of the screen when they're doing the the credits music by Ludwig Göransson. And I just think, God damn, uh-huh. he's a, he's a diverse chap, isn't he? I just love. It. I just wanted uh, so to drop I, that I, in there. <laughs> so as I was saying, between the red and the blue, so in the climatic climactic total spoilers battle scene, uh, battle scene, the military is split into two teams. As we see, the red team that moves forward in time, and the blue team that is inverted and moves backwards. Whenever the focus is on the blue team, so the inverted team, the score changes to include a short motif which is also played backwards. This is reminiscent of Inception in 20, uh, 2010 soundtrack, where, wherein the main motif was based on a greatly slowed down version of the French song Non Je ne Grette Rien uh, to represent the apparent slowing of time when dreaming. Mm-hmm. 
So there's kind of taken the, 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 the reversing of that motif, which you can hear if you, if you remember those first, when you watch that battle sequence, when you're obviously watching uh, David John Washington move forward through time and kind of move in with, with his gun, and then it cuts to uh, Robert Pattinson. I'll always remember watching the cinema, it kind of plays out, it almost is just the reversing of, and obviously we have a lot of the reverse of the dialogue, which is amazing. Yeah. It's so good, that that uh, that that part there. And a fun fact on that was that actually, uh, so so the, the well, there's two packs of that. One that Kenneth Branagh, an amazing job of keeping the Russian accent, but talking in reverse, because he had to record himself in reverse some sections. Oh, really? See, I was wondering they how they did that. And I, I, I had my money on them just playing a normal scene in reverse i just thought that the yeah no i think they actually did record some all right well that's that's one way to do i suppose it's quite cool yeah uh, and then, and then, composer Ludwig Gorson incorporated Christopher Nolan's own breathing as part of the score used around Kenneth Branagh's villainous character. The sound was achieved when Nolan breathing very heavily into a microphone, and Gorson manipulating it to uncomfortable and raspy sounds. I mean, it's not it's not quite Quentin Tarantino's hands choking out Diane Kruger, but you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah it's the not director's that, not put a comfortable it, trademark i like to, i like to think i like to think the same reasons happen because obviously um quentin tarantino actually did it was his hands that choked out diane kruger in inglorious bastards because uh of course uh, because of course. christopher Chris, Christoph Waltz, uh, Christoph, Waltz Christoph Waltz didn't want to or or when he did it he couldn't he couldn't put in the Putting the right thing. So I like to think Christopher Nolan's behind the scene. Some poor guy's breathing into a microphone. And he's going, you're not breathing right. The, 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 <laughs> the breathing is not right. Don't, I'll do it. I'll breathe. Look, and, he, exactly. and he charges into the sound room. Let me show just, you how to and breathe. he takes the mic and he goes. Yeah. <sighs> That's yeah, how you breathe. Look, and then looks at that young guy in the eye. He's looking at him in the eye as he's breathing into the mic. And going, was it so difficult? Was it, Stephen? Yeah, was it? Just breathing. Throws we all do it. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not asking for much. Uh, yeah, no. Fucking hell, Stephen. Kicks him in the shins as he walks past. Yeah. If you think you're getting paid for that piece of breathing, you're solely mistaken. I I did really like the soundtrack of this, and I will listen back to it, but you're right. It's a very... He create. I mean, listening through the score, as I've, I've sort of flicked through it, like I flicked through a book, and it is... It's there's not a huge amount of central motifs that carries through. There's certain sounds that, are, that, that make their way through this, but... All in all, it is a very, very rangy score. Yeah. Re- very rangy. Ooh. There is things all around. One commonality I've picked up, though, is that it's a lot of it is minor key. Yeah. Almost all is minor yeah. key. There's, there's a lot of places uh, to go. There's a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of places. Yeah, I mean, at the most basic level, you know, major key, happy key, minor key, sad key. But there's a lot more places to go in a minor key. If, if for no other reason than... If you start in a minor key, you can progress into major tonality and you get like a sense of euphoria through moments like that. And you get uh, uplifting moments through something like that. Whereas if you start the other way around, then it's more getting down in the depths. You know what I mean? If you start major and turn minor, then that's like a much more negative experience, not in a bad way, but just like mood wise, if you get what I'm meaning. 
The song that plays over the end credits is called The Plan, and it was written by Travis Scott and composer Ludwig Gorson. Uh, oh, and Wonder Girl, specifically for the film. It makes the f- it makes it sorry, it marks a first for both Scott and director Christopher Nolan, it being the former uh, the former's first original solo song for a motion picture and Nolan's first time using a rap or hip hop song as one of, uh, in one of the films. But he has previously used the song analyzed by Radiohead frontman Tom York in the closing credits of The Prestige. Yeah. Now, I'll be honest, I'll hold my hands up because I think I've talked about this on the podcast before that i very much yeah. like to stick around in the credits of movies to listen to yeah. the end credit song and also the like the score that rolls through the credits credits i didn't on this occasion yeah. i got up quite quickly no and i yeah. think the feeling i had at the time was i had such a sensory overload in this movie yeah that actually I just wanted to go outside and breathe. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. Really. Like Nolan. Yeah, like like <laughs> Nolan, like Nolan did. And so I didn't so I think we were out the cinema before the, even the end of this song actually. Yeah, we were. We were. A couple more interesting facts, moving a little bit away from the music. I think we've kind of talked a little bit about it. We both are a fan and we're going to have to listen back to it more. Um Boat facts, boat facts. You want boat facts? This is the section of the the show where we talk. Yeah, I remember facts, telling you before the podcast. All I it's wanted was the, boat facts. The boat facts. Uh, the catamarans owned by Andre Sator, uh, Kenneth Branagh, are F. Uh, 50 foiling catamarans used in the sail gp race series they are the fastest racing class in history with speeds exceeding 50 knots or more than 60 miles an hour is it loved them that was a really is cool it faster scene. than the audi oracle you know that one uh, i don't think so no. it's not fast no than i don't oracle. think so i think that is the no the oracle and uh it's the uh, what's the other one that's that's it's the oracle having the foil yeah because the reason i bring up the oracle is i love that boat because it's not it doesn't actually have a sail does it it's got a seven it's, no, it's, it's a, a wing. 747 wing just like on its head and they just use a use a yeah, proper airplane it. wing and i love that it's so cool well it's it's to get into the aerodynamics, it is a symmetrical airfoil because you, yeah, they're designed to flow one way, whereas the air kind of is supposed to fly over both sides of a sail of a wing yeah. in there. But it, it's you're right, it's a similar sort of physics to it. Uh, the luxury super yacht seen in the film, which is home to Andre Sator again, Kenneth Branagh, is known in real life as as the Planet Nine, measuring just over two hundred and forty feet long. It has six decks and its own helicopter pad, which we see a Chinook land on, which is a very very rare rare thing to happen uh having a having a chinook land on that i think that you can see i don't think this chinook actually stops um and the reason being is because i don't think there's a commercial yacht that can house a chinook um in the such so, wait, I mean, so you, so you see one. it being able to well no but you see it sort of still you see it still generating thrust it doesn't turn off engines oh, okay because i was one i was wondering so, about uh, that as well and i was I, and I need to look into the facts i was also wondering if maybe there was a bit of clever forced perspective happening there where actually there was a proper yeah, landing maybe. thing behind the boat and it's just shot to look like it is yeah. actually still the boat when it's actually just land do you know what i mean i think you might be yeah i think you might be right um i, I can't believe i don't think they would have had permission to put a double rotor on a yacht of that that small um but that's me getting really nerdy into my engineering. Oh, really? Pieces, None of us noticed until you, until you said that. <laughs> uh, 
and 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 so that's my boat facts boat facts have another boat fact boat facts are fun fun nolan facts for boats yeah, well, I, I mean that, now that now, now that you've introduced this as a segment i'll expect boat facts in next week's episode not another fun boat fact uh and the last thing i want to talk about is we talked a little bit about this um as a spot we remember we kind of like talked a little bit about this as what do we think uh, tenet means what do we think tenet means what what what's the meaning behind it and uh, so the word tenet presumably originating from satyr square is a word square containing a five word latin palindrome that dates back to the ruins of pompeii puzzles five by five so the five letters of the word being sator uh, arepo tenet opera and rotis so we're all used so rotis is the name of the company uh, backwards is sator which is the name of kenneth Branagh's yeah. character uh, opera which is the the word that's used to change his mind arepo which is the character who uh sells the painting and then tenet obviously being the palindrome so they're all the words that, um, that are used forward and also used backwards okay uh and the last fun theory i want to talk about is is max neil ah yes so neil robert pattinson's character is he the grown-up version that's of right, Sator's yes. son. And I yeah. start, and I, my instinct is that he is. That was the thought. I thought, uh, oh, I wonder if he is. Yeah. And then I started to like try and replay the movie and try and yeah. find clues in my mind. And I gave up after 30 seconds because God damn, that, that hurts. That hurts the psyche to try and justify that. Um, and try to pull scenes out of your yeah. short-term memory from that particular movie is really, really tough. I think to unravel that mystery yeah. will take repeated viewings and probably some spoilery like discussions with directors yeah, exactly. and actors and people, you know, diving in. I I so long story short, I couldn't possibly begin to justify it on this podcast but my feeling is that he is but i couldn't possibly just i couldn't possibly justify it because yeah me too i, I because 100 mainly because for that to be the case he would have to the kid version so yep what was it max is it the max yeah yeah yeah. that's right yeah, yeah yeah he would have to grow up into into his mid-30s past the point of this movie past the point of past the point where this movie happens yeah, and, and then go back. go back a long time unless he starts traveling back very 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 young and just gets older but then the movie doesn't the movie doesn't really say what happens to like your internal like aging when you go backwards in time and stuff I, like that. I think you keep, I think you keep aging. I do think you keep aging. Yeah. So I think that that's actually what happens. I think maybe by the time he's like 15, he starts traveling back. Yeah. I think that's what they think. He start, and then, and then, and then, yeah, he and then he's just like in increments and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I think there are ways to justify the idea. I just not sure I could articulate it very, very well in this podcast. Cause it hurts. But the fact that you and I left, and then we both started talking. Yeah, about we both it as thought if, that we both picked up on it. Yeah, we both thought that independently. Independently, exactly. Um, and obviously, just the I, I saw on a Reddit somewhere that uh, the French spelling of Max is Maximilian, uh, which is finishes the reverse of it is uh, N E I L. Oh, for goodness' Maximilian sake, Maximilian Neil. Exactly. Okay, yeah. okay, confirmed. <laughs> 
That's canon. <laughs> uh, but all that's left to say is for me, two thumbs up. Yep, two thumb, two thumbs up. Score and score and movie. Frankly, I've got my, yeah, I've got yeah. my my problems, my problems with it just because of the mixing in the at, at the beginning and whether I think you know that's appropriate and you know maybe the pacing of it, but the technical execution, I, I it's just. Like I'm left with a sense of that it was flawless, even though I know that it wasn't. And I think, yeah, and I think that above anything else makes it a absolute resounding success because, totally. because when you can critique something and then not care about your criticisms that you've just laid in front of it, I think that's the sign of a really fantastic movie. And I'm seeing a lot of reviews yeah, that are absolutely. really mad about this. The official review of that the Guardian gave. Well, you, you must have seen it yeah. because you read that article. Gave it two yeah. stars. Was it two stars, wasn't it? What yeah, are they yeah. on? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, personally, I don't take a huge amount of, I actually hate The Guardian as a newspaper. Yeah. I know I've read a, a, an article from there. I hate it. Mainly because, um, totally unrelated to this, and, and I won't go in any further than this one sentence. Um, professionally, at one point in my career, I was uh, slated by someone through The Guardian, yeah. personally, but I'm not going to get into that, and I hate The Guardian for it. They just Also, they it's, never per- get it's personal vendetta. It's got nothing to do it's with journalistic integrity. I, I, it's just personal per- vendetta. <laughs> no, specific, specifically, the, the, no, they are... They are uh, I've not got a huge fan... Anyway, but that's that's, that's actually not here. That that no, I don't think record. I don't think you should. <laughs> yeah, fuck it, I'll leave it. Fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. But yeah, two thumbs up. Moving forward. Yeah, why don't we move forward? So we've got a couple of things to bring to moving forward this week, don't we? Yeah, we do. I, uh, As I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I had a very long coach journey back to London at, um, very, very late at night last night. So I decided to watch a terrible movie. Yeah. And I went out and I, and I went out of my way to watch a terrible movie. And the terrible movie I chose to play was X-Men's Dark Phoenix. Which was last year? Was that yeah. last, a, a last year movie? Yeah, last Cause, year. Because I saw yeah. it on Disney Plus, and so I downloaded it on my Disney Plus app on the old iPad, and I watched yep. it on the... Because this is a movie I knew I'd have to watch at some point, because when I'm invested in these, in franchises and things like that, I know I have to see every entry at some point, even yep. though I know it's going to be terrible. I still have to watch it. I still have to do it. So I thought... I'm by myself on the bus. Everyone, uh, to give you a sense, even though I have lots of like friends in this orchestra that were all also on the bus, we were sat in a very socially distant way so that uh, uh, you were by yourself in in the rows and there sure, was nobody sure. in front of you and there was nobody behind you. So there was like a maximum of like, you know, 12 people on the, on the bus in total. So there was no yeah. way to be like... S- to like chat to your mates or anything like that. So I knew I was going to be by myself and I would ever have to listen to music, listen to a podcast or watch something. So I thought I'll watch dark Phoenix and I don't regret watching it, but it is objectively terrible. 
Yeah, it's, it's uh, atrocious. It's a hell of a film. Oh my god, it's atrocious. It's it's so short. It's it's yeah. like an hour and forty five minutes long or something like that. And yeah. there's so much story in there because I I I, I swear that all the scenes that are in there are not actually terrible scenes. I think there's good acting on display. There, there's some not good acting on display. I think Sophie yeah, Turner yeah. is not fantastic in this movie at all. No, I don't but think she's great. I think Fassbender's on point. I think McAvoy's on point, as they always are. Uh, the, yep. the girl that plays Storm, she was really good. And the new yep, na- yep. and the new Nightcrawler, he was great. But then there was like there was like hardly yes. any of them. And I bring out Fastbender. Fastbender's in like two scenes. He doesn't he doesn't appear until like the last half of the movie. And I just feel like there yeah. was so much more of this. There were there was a treatment for this story that was five times bigger than what yeah. than what we got. And they crammed it all into one hour and forty minute movie. And it's just terrible. And Jessica Chastain, uh, yes. as the shape shifting alien villain, was just terrible. She did nothing. Yeah, it was terrible. She did no, absolutely terrible. nothing. And it was just such a misfire in every. I think in even, every aspect. I think even she, I think even she's gone on record and saying I don't even know what my character was. Yeah, in I know. Thing. You'd watch that the, back the, and go, I'm, "Was I even in that movie? What? I mean, that, that's my likeness, I, so, but what?" <laughs> The only the only things I have to say about that movie were um well so firstly the end train sequence obviously was changed. It was an outer space sequence, yeah. but you had to change it because it, it conflicted with Captain Marvel at the time. So yeah. they were forced by Disney to change it because the Fox deal had already gone ahead, so they had that they had that control. So that's one reason why it was filmed by committee. The second, just from a from a comics books perspective, uh, so the Dark Phoenix saga um, it's one of the most famous X Men stories, isn't it? Oh, it's pro- probably the most famous X Men story. And for the second time on the screens, they they cram it into one film and fucking butcher it. Yeah, I, I've no sympathy. I hate like there was no learning from mistakes. There was it was just a sloppy handover to Disney. Like this was the last thing that came out. I mean, obviously, New Mutants aside, which I've which I've heard is not as good as people thought it might be as well. Did we think Some this was going to be good? Through. No, did we actually you know, think, think this after, was going to be good? I I think I think there was a I think it was supposed to have been better than the normal, like better than this, better than yeah. I, um, I've heard it's better than Dark than Apocalypse. Thing. Oh yeah, I Apocalypse. really didn't like Apocalypse. That was a hot mess. No. Can I give this so can I, I give this movie a do. saving grace? I mean, I know this that this is basically turning into a, go for it. almost yeah, go a for mini it. report. But I I quite liked the music. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm not going to lie. There were some good there was some good music. There wasn't enough of it and it yeah. was and uh, I was like who wrote this? And then the credits came up and it was Hans Zimmer. And I thought, yeah, yeah. wow, big big name for a shite movie. And I think yeah. it's because Hans Zimmer has an ability to write, to write e- like a sh- a small amount of epic music in a short space of time. Yep. And yep. I think based on the production problems of this movie and the editing problems of this movie and the release of this movie and all that thing, all that stuff that we've already discussed, I think they just went to Hans Zimmer gave him a truck full of money and said oh just give us something cool for this for this hot mess please just give us something cool and he did there's some really cool moments in it that i really really liked unfortunately zero of the really cool x-men 
franchise music because sure. you know that when you go back to the original movie some of those some of that music is amazing and i think yeah, it yeah. will probably get to it on this podcast or yeah, something sure as an official things because those especially x-men 1 and x-men 2 there's some really good music in there and the way yeah. it's uh crafted because they were the, like the original like superhero movies i would say yeah uh, yeah i mean well in, that in, in this Spider-Man, era the raimi series yeah in this era that we're living in it's raimi spider-man and those original x-men movies i think we've got to it give credit for way. so yeah that 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 was that was what i watched on the bus last night um a couple of things i want to bring to moving forward um i guess just a quick two minutes the boys season two finally dropped it dropped two days ago uh i've already watched the first episode and i think i think i've watched two no i've watched the first two episodes of it have you watched any of it yet so far i have not yet because again like with the umbrella academy this is another series mm-hmm. that actually Ilham, my girlfriend, is uh, interested in watching as well, but she hasn't seen the first series. So I'm going to have to re-watch, and this is going to have to be another yeah. slow burner for me because actually we're still only halfway through the first season of, Umbr- <laughs> of Umbrella Academy, so let's not bring these things up on moving forward anytime in the next year or so because this might take a while. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's interesting that you bring up Umbrella Academy. Obviously, Umbrella Academy being the Netflix, uh, I guess, like competitor, they're both quite similar. Yeah, then you've got Doom Patrol as well. Aren't they? I, I, Doom Patrol is the third one as well that's quite similar. I, I think The Boys is a far superior film mainly because the, the 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 universe it creates is just such an uncomfortable universe it is, like it's it? it is rough i mean i'm going to give you one spoiler here close your ears alex if you don't want to hear this spoiler um but basically one person has already had their head blown off in the first episode <laughs> i mean I, that's not really a spoiler i think i assumed that that would be that, that i oh, assumed some... that, that that would be the case someone else has already had their arm cut it's just like it's mental it's just a fucking mental like it's 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 no one is safe no one is safe in this universe and the boys themselves they're actually a really great on-screen presence you know the return of mother's milk and frenchie uh and 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 obviously we huey and billy but they're just great they're really they're really they're a proper ragtag team yeah um i'm looking forward to rewatching the first series actually because fuck me homelander is one of the best on-screen superhero creations ever like i genuinely as a character he's so complex yeah so flawed yeah but yeah, yeah. he just has this omnipotent power he's so fucking good yeah um and so yeah i don't want to talk too much about that but the final thing i want to talk about in moving forward is we two days ago got a new or three days ago got a new trailer for no time to die Woohoo! the movie that will never come out so I, I was thinking about this. Do you know what? They were they were pretty on the mark by moving it six months to November, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because at the time, I think, yeah, at the time, were we not like quite surprised by it? Because obviously it was the start of lockdown and nobody knew how long it would go on for. But, uh-huh. we, but I think we all sort of hoped that it would all be done by <laughs> July and that like yeah and that we'd get like you know the summer blockbusters back we we would have seen black widow by now we would definitely would have seen yeah, james yeah. bond and all these things probably another avengers movie or something i don't know <laughs> i i must admit though i was thinking about this i was like because obviously the rumors are there's going to be another lockdown which i'm not i don't really know and I, I we can chat about this after i guess offline but the, but like i think if there was it would probably kick in early december late november but this was slated for 
the, the like the 5th of November, which is fucking incredible timing. Like if you yeah. think about it, like that was really great foresight. Yeah. Um, now, what do you think of the trailer? Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm pumped for it. Yeah, me I, too. I am so much action. I am 100% pumped for it. I'm, I don't, I mean, I've been burned by... I've been burned by Daniel Craig outings before. I'm I'm specifically yeah. referring to Spectre and yeah. Quantum of Solace. Yeah. Which it's I, been suggested to me in by people in real life and also by videos and articles on the internet that Quantum of Solace is nowhere near as bad as everyone remembers it. Everyone says it's the uh, everyone compares it to what do they compare it to? They compare it to Oh God! What's the what's the dark horse of the early Bond movies? Uh, of the early what the Sean Connery ones? No, George Lazenby. Oh, uh, on Her Majesty's yes. Secret Service. On Her Majesty's Secret Service. First time you see it, you're like, oh, I don't really get that. That's a bit weird. That's kind of that's kind of shit. But then, like, you let it fester for a bit, and actually, you realize that it's actually the best. It's probably the best character study of the character of bond in the entire franchise and it's got i, I i've never i've never not liked it yeah uh, I, I i very aggressively did not like it the first the first time i saw it um you know when we were in the height of camp bond we were just about to get roger moore and all that as well and uh and i was just like nah i just don't really care about this and it's been suggested to me that a lot of the same things happen in Quantum of Solace. I'm not sure I believe it. I'll have to go back and watch it. I still think it's pretty shit, and a Bond villain should never be twiddling his hands going, ooh, I'm going to control all the water in this South American country. Yeah. Ooh, look at my dastardly plan. Uh, I just think uh, that's kind of kind of shit, but... The, the 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 obviously we talked a lot about ten, uh, tenet and tenet reason and we kind of compared to the bond films and, and one thing i will say about uh, uh tenet is the action in that i mean the 747 sequence my mouth was on the floor like yeah. they were incredible action sequences i mean absolutely incredible and watching this trailer I think No Time to Die will actually push forward some really amazing action sequences too. I mean, so I, I don't know if you do this when I watch a trailer. I don't know if you do this the same thing. When I watch a trailer, I'm like, I like make a mental note of all the different action sequences. I go, oh, there's an action sequence in this kind of environment. Then there's one in this environment. There's one. I counted about seven or eight full-blown action sequences yeah. that we're going to see. Like this film's going to be non-stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be thick. Yeah, it's gonna be a. It's got, I think it's a long one as well. Oh yeah, I'm I'm up for that. I'm up for that. I'm yeah. a, I'm about I'm I'm up for an overindulged, you know, Bond romp. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Especially um, if it's gonna also... be his last outing. Well, so so we all and we also saw uh, the, obviously the, the first conclusion of Ana de Armas, who was um, I first saw in a really obscure film with Keanu Reeves uh, called Knock Knock, but she also went on to do Blade Runner twenty forty nine was yep. it twenty, uh, but w- which was the which was the other one. But she she's she's a really great up and coming star has come up and up and has come. Is that weird? <laughs> yeah, she's, she's now she's now in things. My only hesitation in this trailer is that we did see a couple of sequences. So we did see this 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 Bond and um, I forget her name, the, the other agent that's in this, get inside this one aircraft that fell out the back of a plane and the wings unfolded and then it landed in the ocean. Yeah. Do you know the first thing that I was reminded of? It's kind of a little bit Die Another Day. Yeah, they did that in Die Another Day, didn't they? Uh, and I'm just like, 
is are we gonna see a kind of this is the die another day of i think this might be the die another day of the craig because if you look at if you look at the prog- progression from Goldeneye to Die Another Day, it Goldeneye is po- quite rough and ready. It couldn't possibly and be as bad as Die Another no, Day. No, it's though. it's not. But the trajectory of this and the Pierce Brosnan films are actually quite similar if you think about it. Well, you know, we had Casino Royale and Goldeneye, the first interest. Yeah, it's great. Then we had Tomorrow Never Dies, Quantum of Solace. Like, meh, but it's I like, all right. I like Tomorrow Never Dies. Jonathan Price is great. <laughs> and then we kind of get into World Is Not Enough, which again, that was a really, if you remember, I think that was one of the most commercially successful Bond films. Like well, It was the most recently. commercially successful Bond film because the product placement was off the charts. In that, yeah, in that, it was, that was the it real made, yeah. It made its production budget and then some back before ticket sales only because yeah. of product placement and that is mental <laughs> and, and and merchandise and marketing like the marketing for world is not enough was huge and that you know competed with your specters your skyfalls uh i think we're now getting no time to die die another day <laughs> i think this <that, laughs> oh. i just it's a small thing in the back of my mind but anyway we need to we need to watch it. if you haven't seen the trailer yet i highly recommend it it's a longer sequence there's a really cool sequence just at the end where he's in a forest and there's a car coming towards him and it flips and he sort of shoots a gun at it and then turns and looks at the camera and i was like oh that's a really that's a really fast paced panning camera sequence that's definitely not being touched up a lot by cgi yeah, but yeah, I, yeah, i'm looking yeah, forward yeah. to it cool, 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 cool. looks good look good yeah i'm excited um but i think that's i think that's the show mate i reckon i reckon so uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. This, was, this was fun. It was fun. Uh, just before we before we finish, I think we are ready for the next... Or do we, we wrap it up and then we talk about next week. So what do they have to do now? Uh, they have got to go on to the Apple Podcasts app. That is... You know, you app. sing that quite a lot. You kind of go, they have got to... I know. It's quite disjoint. You, you do a kind of singy with that. I've often picked up when yeah. I edit this thing and I'm like, oh, he's done it again. But if the listeners would and give us a five-star rating. That'd be very much appreciated. And also a cheeky little review if you felt so inclined to write one or maybe tell us your favorite movie or maybe your favorite movie soundtrack. It's all very easy. We can do it in the app. And I know we bang on it. We we have banged on about this, but one thing we haven't banged on about the fact is we're we're not asking you to do it for nothing. It really does help like numbers and how many people get to listen to us and all that so yeah. it's, it's it's really not just a vanity thing it is more of a kind of engagement thing and you know we want to reach new people and yeah we, we i mean it's no surprise you know we've been doing this for the night you know it's probably episode 35 we we started quite small growing we our numbers have grown quite a lot they have I've can been, we say that yeah, now? i've been quite i've been quite quite we have now nearly it's a lot it's picking up there so a yeah. lot of new, new listeners welcome so welcome. yeah so we do us a favor if you're if you're, if you're a listener a new or old listener and you haven't given given us a rating or review just do us a solid and just you know just do it yeah. take take two and seconds we know where you live we know where you we live do. because we can see it that's the analytics we get yeah, we, we can see where you live we can see your habits we can see into your life yes this is what you get for downloading tiktok ladies and gentlemen <laughs> uh there's also an email motionspod at gmail.com yeah, there same is. things apply same things you know what to do uh next week we are back. We are back to our Cornetto trilogy Woo-hoo. with 
the middle, the original flavor, that is hot fuzz. Hot so fuzz. stay tuned for that one. I love that. That'd hot be an fuzz. interesting one to get into. I'm yeah, so it's looking forward one. to rewatching this. And I'm very much I'm looking, looking forward, forward to your section um giving us all the boats that feature the boat facts, yeah. Uh, yeah. Boat facts featured in Hot Fuzz. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to think through all those boat facts. Yeah. I don't think there's a single boat in that movie. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure you can find one. If anyone can, Calum, it's you. Okay, I'll look out for books. Thank okay. you, guys. Excellent. Well, that's everything. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next week. All right, guys. Ta-ta.